What's good, anybody out there? This is your friendly Crimson Stain, and this is the first episode of Grave Wax, where we're just going to keep it light and informal and riff on a movie. Uh, of course, there's spoiler alerts. So we're going to go through the whole thing. And I think we've got a pretty good movie for our inaugural episode. And it's 1987's Creep Show 2, which is a pretty amazing film. People uh, tend to not like it as much as the first one, but it's subjective. I think I saw this movie first before I saw the first Creep Show. They used to run it on UHF uh, TV back in the late 80s, so that was my first exposure to it. And uh, it's pretty great. Uh, it's got a, an awesome Arrow Blu-ray release. It's got, a, I think, Waxworks Records put out the soundtrack. Really good stuff. And so, again, uh, spoiler alerts. We're going to go through the whole thing. But, okay, we got this awesome opening, really kind of subtle and quiet. In this uh, small town, it just kind of opens up. It looks like the day hasn't really started yet. And it's um, it looks like this very like bed and breakfasty kind of uh, place you might uh, take a take a little uh, weekend vacation to probably doesn't exist anymore. It's probably been demolished by our uh, neoliberal new world order. But again, we're keeping it light and formal. We're not going to get into that. Uh, but then as soon as uh, we establish where we're at, in comes this uh, old old timey uh, delivery truck. And we find out it's a really sick uh, tricked out truck and. Uh, we find out it's being driven by our old friend, the Creep, who is definitely not the, like, zombie, uh, rotted corpse from the first Creep show. Apparently, he's, he, he did pretty well for himself. He, he, you know, he got on some, uh, he got a trainer. Uh, he's actually pretty fit, and he's got this full-time job. And of course, it's Tom Savini in this role. And they're stopped at the little, uh, you know, sidewalk newsstand to deliver. Now, this truck, it has nothing but Creep shows. I... I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be too nitpicky about, uh, you know, certain realities of, you know, creep show being unrealistic. But this, uh, we we know that uh, deliveries they don't just deliver one specific comic book and then you know move on. They have a they they give you a bunch at once. Uh, it's much more effective that way. But apparently, creep show it's the most important uh, comic book in the world, and it's, this is pre-internet, so I guess it's more in demand at this time and sure enough there's one kid on his bike that's been following uh the creep uh, all the way to this newsstand and it's and as uh they point out it's like his life depends on getting the first copy and you know maybe the reason he's so enthusiastic about getting there is because you know the everything turns into a cartoon uh demonic bats appear i mean i would show up for that so there's probably uh you know some some incentive there and you get a really awesome title sequence with uh this awesome title music just like in the first um first creep show and and eventually we end up at the creeps castle which we're still in the animation road and now you know as an animated figure the creep he's got total scrooch in and uh he also has a dinosaur that he uh, feeds some unknown meat and he's gonna tell us this uh, story and the first one is, it's as he calls it, a, a nasty little bone cracker called Old Chief Woodenhead. And this one has uh, George Kennedy. He's in now. This is the opposite of that town that the creep was just driving through. This is a very desolate, wasted town. 
you f I mean, Walmart has definitely done its work here because everything is just tumbleweeds and dirt. But there's George Kennedy. He's in his general store. He's living in a delusion. In a way, we're kind of lucky there's like murder and supernatural violence that's about to occur because otherwise this would be really depressing um, because he's he can't admit that, you know, his town, his uh, his town's dried up and his store is pretty much not going to make it, especially if you consider how bad the what do you call it? The window display is. I mean, it's just basically uh, old cans of vegetables. It's like it's bad. But he also has the old Chief Woodenhead statue out front, and he's painting it. And as he's painting it, he's singing to it, which I think he does. He's also in Just Before Dawn, and he does like the same thing. I think he's like singing to his horse or something. So I don't know if that was just a George Kennedy staple or if that was just like scripted and is a coincidence. But it's an odd thing I noticed. And uh, he's painting his war paint on old Chief Woodenhead, and his wife Martha comes out. Now, Martha is Dorothy L'Amour. Which for decades I only know known her as the creep show lady, but she was actually this beautiful actress back in the day. She made uh, like big band type music, and uh, back when they opened the uh, Shamrock Hotel in Houston, uh, which was a Glenn McCarthy thing, um, she was like the uh, the hostess of the grand opening, and she was on the radio, and there was like a riot because there were so many people there. They they kind of dramatized this in the movie Giant. But there's, I don't think there was anything about uh, Latinx's racial prejudice involved with this. I think there was just a, too many people in, in the hotel ballroom, and there was a riot. And there's conflicting stories as to whether it was whether Dorothy Lamore either ran away or she actually stopped the riot from getting totally out of control. But if if you notice her her kind of strong backbone in this performance, you got to go with that she stopped the riot. Uh, we don't have any def definite. In, uh, information about this, but just seeing how she handles things, I think I think she could have handled uh, a few hundred rowdy uh, people trying to uh, cause trouble in, in the in a hotel. But anyway, she comes out to, to George and she's gonna try to talk some sense into this guy, which I'm sure they do every single day. Go through the same thing over and over again. We live in Dead River. It sucks. The River Cafe across the street, it's gone. Everything is just really sucks, and uh, George is—he's just—he will not listen to it, which is pretty—it's pretty, it's pretty uh, aggravating to me. So I know it must be pretty, pretty horrible uh, on old uh, Martha there. There's a hint at uh, the political leanings here, uh, especially in the immortal lines where George Kennedy's saying, "Good intentions built this country," and Martha is like, "Good intentions tore this country down." And on for my part, I have to totally agree with Martha, because first of all, country definitely not built on good intentions, and second of all, all good intentions are just a rationalization for the hustle. So again, we're not gonna get into it, but Martha's totally right on this. She's totally right. Just look at this store. There's no one there. There's no one in the whole town. There's not gonna be anyone in your store. Uh, when they go in the store, it's like the mustard is next to the rakes. Nothing makes sense in this store. None of it makes sense. They should obviously just liquidate what they can and get the hell out of there. Enjoy enjoy the twilight years. You can bring the chief with you, but they don't do it. 
and they're going to pay the price, which what really starts the action going is they get a visit from, uh, what's his name? Uh, Benjamin White Moon. He, he drives up. He's got a chauffeur-driven Pontiac with the actual wooden uh, head or ornament, which I don't, I don't know if that an awkward thing to do or is that would they actually drive that? I don't know. But anyway, apparently he's this uh, Navajo chief and he's going to have a talk with uh, George Kennedy here. And they go in the store and he starts explaining, OK, you know, times have been tough. We know we owe you a lot of money collectively. So here's what I've got to do for you. He's got this uh, sack of the Jajimba, the Aline. And apparently this is a very important and valuable uh, folk art uh, jewelry that they have. And they're going to basically leave it with uh, George Kennedy so he can have it as a deposit. And they, and he, they have two autumns to pay back what they owe him. And it's, it's interesting that he's like, okay, instead of um, – I'm going to settle up with you, but I'm going to dictate all the terms with you. And of course, George Kennedy's, he's kind of a simp and he's just like, first of all, he's like, I can't take this. This belongs to your people. And I just can't uh, deal with this. And, uh, Benjamin's like, yeah, you know, um, Hey, why don't, uh, why don't you take it? Because if not, I'm going to hate you forever. You're going to reduce us to even further degradation by not even accepting this. So you better do it. And, of course, uh, Simpin George Kennedy, which I'm sure he wasn't a simp in real life, but his character, he's hes a professional actor here. He uh, he ends up, again, just bending his will to whatever someone tells him to do, and he takes it. Now, given what's going to happen, which is going to be a robbery, uh, Benjamin really fucked up here because what he should have done, he should have just given him some trinkets. He should have done the reverse buying New York Island from uh, th- this dumb George Kennedy here. Just give him some trinkets. He's not going to know the difference. He's going to treat it with the same amount of respect. And he and you won't be putting a target on yourself by giving him all this valuable, like, silver and stones. Uh, but, you know, who could who could really predict this, I suppose you'd say. And I really like the part where he's about to leave and George Kennedy says, I can smell the prosperity in the air. And uh, Benjamin who, by the way, this character actor, I've seen him on Walker, Texas Ranger. He's a really great, uh, very stoic actor. And he just says, I wish that it could be. I always love that line. So they go out, they they wave goodbye to him as they drive off. And uh, they're like, oh, they're feeling really good about uh, what's, what just happened. And so they go back in, and uh-oh, the atmosphere of the store is completely changed. There's like, it's, it's red. It's like a creep show comic book red. And, of course, we've got some home invaders, some store invaders. It's uh, Sam White Moon, the uh, evil Sam White Moon, played by Holt McCallany, uh, who's now on that uh, serial killer show, uh, Mindhunter. And he's got his weird um, gang with him, which is basically there's one guy. He looks like a refugee from an Archie comic. And he's got like a, a vest with a Firebird logo on the back. And then there's like this uh, tubby Michael Moore character with like the, the hat, the baseball cap. And they're real jerks. Let's put it that way. These guys, they're just, they're no good. They're real, real bad news. And so they're going to rob them. They're really just throwing stuff around the store. They're taking things. Basically what, what it is, is they're going to, they're basically want to set up their own form of entourage. This is going to be like, 
if uh, instead of uh, whatever those uh, Kevin Dillon and those other assholes, it's going to be these guys instead. Sam White Moons, he's going to hook up with Jeremy Piven's character, uh, and they're going to do um, Aquaman or something. But they got to finance it and they got to get supplies. So Fat Stuff is the guy's name, and he's going to take uh, the supplies which is he's not doing that great a job if you look at look at what he's taken he's taken like an entire case of bazooka bubble gum which this is we need real priorities here i know the store isn't really well stocked but you could do better um and so basically sam's like okay take the money which is like 15 dollars, and then he asks for uh martha to go get her purse which she does and when she comes back she's Sam should be like right in front of her, but she's like all just stumbling around like she's blind or whatever. And he's and he's like another immortal line, which is over here, over here, lady. And that's the thing about the story. The story has so many amazing quotable lines, and no one, everyone always tends to pick the hitchhiker as the best story in Creepshow too. And if not, some some of them will pick the raft, but. I, no one ever picks Old Chief Woodenhead as the best story, and it's clearly the best, but... All right, it, we won't go into it. It's subjective. Uh, so he's, like, taking the... He's so he's so low down, he, like, steals the contents of her purse right in front of her. And there's also, oddly enough, there's a photo booth in this crappy store, which is functioning. And this is just another example of poor management skills. You don't... I mean, those things require a... a a decent amount of maintenance. You at least got to keep them stocked. You got to keep it plugged in. You got to deal with like focus issues. I mean, this is something you should not be prioritizing in your dying business is the photo machine. So anyway, it works. And of course, because he wants to be a big star, he's very egotistical. He goes into the uh, booth and he's taking his picture and he's it's another great monologue. This guy's got nothing but great monologues. Uh, about how he's gonna uh, get to Hollywood, uh, everyone's gonna wanna want him to uh, get in front of these cameras. I always end up saying uh, get behind these cameras, but that's just a weird thing. I can't, I can never get quotes right, but that's gonna be great for this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, so he's taking this picture, and you know they're just terrorizing these poor people, and there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on little inserts of what the other gang members are doing like for at one point they dump out uh, a, a, a bushel of potatoes which incidentally just look at it, it says clearance potatoes which I, if you're gonna put potatoes on clearance just throw them out because that, that shouldn't be a clearance item and also the rich boy he uh he like ruins a rack of comic books which one of the the, com- the only comic book there is creep show Again, the creep just going around the country delivering way too many issues of his comics, even up in Dead River, uh, which, you know, Rich Boy, he really should have taken a moment to look through that comic book and see what was going to happen to him, but he didn't, and uh, this this just total cruel uh, torture just continues. And anyway, Sam gets his photos, they get developed, and he calls Rich Boy over, and Rich Boy goes over and looks at him, and he's like, He's really into it. It's a very weird uh, way they did that, where he's like really interested in Sam's pictures of just himself. So, whatever. Uh, but 
let's go. Uh, Sam just keeps. Uh, he he ends up uh, talking shit to them. He types talking shit to his own gang. He uh, at one point he's he t- says, uh, you know my my buddy here is rich. You know he's rich, didn't you? And this is really uh, extraneous information. You you shouldn't be telling him. You know, okay, here, he he drives a Firebird. Here's a license plate number. Here's where we're gonna go. We'll be here at this motel. Uh, which is not good news for the the couple uh, who have a shotgun pointed at them. They don't really need to know all this information in detail. This is not going to go well. And sure enough, uh, he does end up shooting them, which when it actually happens, it does look like it's an accident. Like it doesn't seem like he was meant to do it. But again, if you're giving away all this personal information, they know who you are. You probably figure he's going to have to kill them anyway. But uh, the... The, the will of uh, fat stuff is really shows to be not that great because he instantly like vomits all over the floor. He's and forgive me, my devout Christian followers who are no doubt listening to this podcast, but he says, "Holy God, Holy Jesus!" I ain't never seen nothing like that before. And of course, uh, Sam he recovers pretty quickly, and he's like, "Well, now you've seen it. Now you're gonna forget it." And they've got their bags and bags of groceries, which they go out. As soon as they go out the door, he instantly drops most of them. There's a really funny scene when they speed away. The car runs over a box of, like, Little Debbie's snack cakes. It's, like, it's just a funny little detail that I always notice. And, um... Anyway, this is, like, the one store Sam should not have robbed, because no sooner do they drive away than Old Chief Woodenhead... He starts getting... He starts getting pissed. He's actually a living creature that uh, is going to seek out vengeance. And, you know, all th- even before this robbery took place, he kind of, like, freaked out Benjamin White Moon. He, like, like, blinked at him or something. So he already had powers of animation before the couple were killed. So it's kind of like, you know, th- those those gang members, they were torturing that couple for, like, 10, 15 minutes. You think Old Chief would have maybe just be a little more proactive, maybe preempt this, uh, stop this... Uh, murder of your your friends right in right in their own store but he, he doesn't roll that way he's just going to seek revenge instead of uh saving the day and so sam and his gang they're going to go home and pack personally pack pack ahead of time be ready ahead of time because what if something like this happens you you, you want to be in in your best frame of mind just be prepared that's all i'm going to say uh, but they they go home to get prepared, and and Fatso's way of preparing is just to drink beer on his in his chair watching uh, Cisco Kid, which we're gonna watch the Cisco Kid about 50 times in this movie, and I'm I'm all for it. I'm not saying anything, but it's just it's funny. It's one of those public domain shows that you can buy it for like a dollar on DVD at the dollar store. It's a great show, and it, and it works uh, in this movie. So they actually did pretty well finding uh, something. You know, something, whenever there's a, a public domain thing they're always watching on TV, it's always like either Night of the Living Dead, which would have been appropriate, or like Dr. Caligari or something like that. At least this was different, but uh, Old Chief Woodenhead, he, he pulls up on uh, Fatso's trailer, which, by the way, I kind of, my house is pretty much like, it's a combination of Fatso Gribben's trailer and that, and Jordy Verrill's house and the lonesome death of uh, Jordy Verrill. So if you're if you're envisioning Gravewax Studios, it's basically his house. Uh, and he gets an arrow right through, uh, like, the hand and then through his cap, which is bullshit and is hilarious. Uh, and anyway, Michael Moore's dead. Uh, 
And next up, the, he visits uh, Kavanaugh, which it's interesting. His name's Kavanaugh, and he's a rich boy, but uh, he's he's gonna sneak out. And what he pa- he packs like one bag, and he's got his uh, what what would you call it? It's a cassette player, but do you call it a ghetto blaster? Do you call it a boombox? They had a bunch of names before it, but that's what he is bringing to the table, as long as as well as the transportation. But as soon as he gets to the garage, he notices. His brown firebird has been destroyed. All the glass is broken. It's all fucked up. And there's a really cool kill scene. It's done like in the shadows and then the blood sprays on the wall. And they leave him spread eagle on the hood of the car. Um, who's the firebird now? And then the greatest part about that scene is when the garage door closes, there's the shadow of Old Chief Woodenhead. But also there's like this like a funny tone that plays. It's like a... It's like an incoming text message or something. It's just a hilarious uh, little cue. And I wish I wish I had that for my phone. But anyway, there's only one guy left now. It's the main guy, the guy you got to get. Uh, but the other two kill scenes were definitely at night. This one looks like it's during the day or like early morning or something, which is weird enough. But it's also weird because Sam is still talking to himself about himself. He's been on a constant monologue about how this kid can't 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 lose. I was about to say can't win again with the fucking up the lines, but he's just been talking nonstop about himself. He must he he would be like the worst person to do coke with. He was just cannot shut up. But uh, here comes old Chief Woodenhead through his open door, and uh, he's like, "No, man, you're not alive." But he is alive. He starts moving very slowly towards him. It, he he kind of moves like Bowie during a Width of the Circle. Uh, at the Ziggy Stardust concert, and he ends up pulling uh, uh, Sam through the through the wall by the hair. Very totally appropriate. That's a real great screenwriting moment when you tie it all together. And of course, he gets scalped. The Jajemba is deposited back with Benjamin. He wakes up with it uh, a little bit bloody on his bed, kind of like the horse's head in Godfather. And then he's like freaking out and he rushes over to the store and he sees there's old Chief Woodenhead where he always was, but he's got the bloody scalp in his hand. And it's a great ending, except it's really not if you think about it. I mean, Benjamin's day is just getting started. He's good. First of all, his friends are dead inside that store. Uh, so it's not really that great of an ending. He says, may your spirit finally find peace. And it's like, well, shit, you're going to you're going to be have a lot of explaining to do like this is crazy uh you know you're gonna have to deal with the police there's i mean there's multiple crime scenes uh and it and who who's gonna what are they gonna even make it out of this uh crazy story but of course it's a comic book it turns back into uh, the the comic panels we don't have to deal with that mess and of course the the creeps there with a nice pun that it was a it was a high price for Sam to pay. So I say that's a bravura opening. Great, great story. And then now we're back to the cartoon, and Billy is at the, the post office, and he has this uh, exchange with the the clerk there, and the clerk's kind of a real asshole. He like has a package for Billy that he has to pay COD, and he's just like, "What is this? Sure is expensive. It's probably a piece of shit." fuck you kid and the kid's like no this is a venus flytrap and the guy acts like he has no idea what it is which who doesn't know what that is come on now and anyway they he gets his package and leaves 
Meanwhile, the creep, who's in like a full satanic robe, uh, is behind another one of the counters, which is definitely against regulations. But the uh, the old man not not saying anything to him about it. He's got he's got a lot of sh- shit to say to kids. But hey, what about that uh, demonic uh, old man behind the counter? Like you're just gonna let that slide? Apparently. Uh, but we've got the next story, which is takes place on a sea of blood. It's the raft. And it starts out with, like, the most awesome, generic 80s rock music ever. And now we've got a Camaro, a a bright yellow Camaro, symbol of the 80s, just screeching through these mountain roads, which, you know, immediately you think, oh, this guy's got to have a drag race with uh, Rich Boy's Firebird, but it's too bad they're in different uh, locations. We've got a very different gang here. We've got... Uh, two boys and two girls, they're, they're out for having a very fun day, which consists of driving 50 miles in the cold to a to a lake, which is like that seems like a long way to travel for this outing, but who am I to say? Uh, but it's a very outgoing guy named Deke, who's like a football player, and then his friend uh, Randy, who's apparently like, I don't know, does his homework for him or something, and is big into science, and they've got two two hot chicks with them, very nice girls. Uh, they're smoking weed. They drive up to this uh, lake so they can, because there's going to be a raft to swim out to. It's very exciting. Uh, and they go out and they do that. And there's a, like a hilarious banter. We get to meet these. We get to know these guys. Uh, they seem like real uh, awesome dudes and ladies. One of them's named Laverne, which is super awesome. Uh, when I bought my first bong, I named it Laverne. So. Definitely love Laverne. She's the best, and she's wearing a Horlicks University T-shirt, uh, which I don't. I don't think there's an actual Horlicks University, but there should be because that's an awesome name. But they end up. They drive up to the uh, shore. They get out. They leave the car on. At least the they leave the doors open and the radio on, which this is going to come into play later. Uh, they they sw- start swimming out to the raft, and then they don't notice until it's too late, and they're already in the water. And there's like this oil slick that's just uh, kind of floating around and starts to move. And Randy's the only one who really picks up on this. But at one point, as they're swimming out, a duck uh, screams and uh, goes under the water. So when Deke and Randy get up to the the raft, uh, Randy starts calling out to the girls who are a little bit farther behind. And it's like, swim faster, swim faster. You got to get up here because he's freaked out about what's going on. And, you know, they they don't even notice the the oil slick for a really long time. But, you know, once, you know, they're like, what are you doing yanking me up here, like, on, onto the raft? What are you doing uh, freaking out like this? They're really weird at, uh, they're really weirded out by him. And, you know, Randy at every point says, oh, there was a duck was just eaten. I just saw this thing eat a duck. And, like, you think that would be critical information that would kind of explain the situation to people. But he never says that. Anyway, so they're up there. They're gonna they're gonna smoke another joint. Uh, they're having fun, goofing around. You know, life's just a, life's just a dream. Even though this uh, oil slick is now completely underneath their boat, their little raft. Deke is like singing a song, encouraging everyone to get high and relax. And then Rachel, she's like smoking. She's definitely uh, getting a vibe check. But then it all goes to fuck because. She gets kind of fascinated looking into the oil slick, and it pulls her in. Like, a hand 
springs out. It's a pretty cool special effect. It pulls out, grabs her, jumps her in. And Laverne's the slowest on up on the uptake here. And she's like, oh, did she fall in? And everybody else has already realized, oh, this is bad news. And sure enough, uh, Rachel's being dissolved right before their eyes. It's an amazing, amazing sequence. This is really done. This is supposedly a, a real bitch to shoot. It was a terrible, cold, obviously just terrible logistics uh, filming out on this this lake. But the, you know, and people, of course, shit on the special effects. They say it's a giant trash bag, which that's that's actually the strength of this story is that it can be scary, even though it's kind of got this absurd, you know, amorphous thing is the enemy. And it's like, that's that's actually quite cool and very terrifying. It's too often with visual medium that, you know, the horror that you create in your mind is ruined. And I think this was an effective way to still engage your imagination through a movie the same way you would through reading a scary story. So that's what I have to say about that. But anyway, like I say, Rachel is just very cool. She's reduced to a skeleton and sinks into the into the, the goo. And everyone, of course, is freaking out. And Deke, Deke, a man of action, he's like, I'm going to swim for it. I'm going to get out of here. And Rachel stops him. And that stone cold gets everybody killed. Definitely get Deke, gets Deke killed because... He stops, and uh, he's like, he's like, no, I'm fast. I've got the the yellow uh, speedo of of Achilles or something, and I I can make it. But of course, he can't make it. He's been stopped. You never explain yourself to anyone, especially a woman. And uh, of course, that's his downfall. The the thing comes up through the boards and ends up sucking him down. Very disgusting. You see his feet a lot. You see a lot of people's feet in this. It's really gross. Uh, just that's like probably the worst part about this uh, this segment. But anyway, he's pulled in. It's very painful looking. His his body is not be being twisted around like that as he's uh, dissolved alive, and it's very sad. There's also a lot. Other funny thing is there's a lot of fake performative reaching out. Like you're really like the other guys are like re- pretending to reach out to help him, but they they they're they're not actually trying to. Uh, uh, grab onto him. They're gonna let him go, uh, but they they try to make it look good. So now it's just Randy and Laverne, uh, the nerd and the sexy girl, and she's she's the worst. She may be beautiful, but she is the worst. She obviously she already got Deke killed. Uh, she's a little slow, and then she jumps up into Randy's arms. She's gonna get them both killed, uh, but. Anyway, he sits her down finally, and she's freaking out, panicking this whole time. And basically, they they're just kind of they're just kind of like the fellow travelers of this this group. They're not the uh, motivators like Deke was, because they're just gonna stand there. I mean, they're just gonna stay out there all night, not knowing what the hell to do. And the the oil slick is just he's happy just to hang out too and say, hey, well, you're gonna get you some. I'm gonna get you at some point. And it turns into night, which is this really not not that great day for night shots and we see randy has no game he doesn't really talk to her at all uh and she is uh also kind of a weak character she won't uh watch out even though their lives depend on it she won't take watch she just wants to lay down and be lazy and this uh just goes on and on and apparently ends up being the next day and they're both kind of sleeping uh, or holding each other, trying to get some body warmth. Um, and then she's asleep, and he lays her down, 
and we get some real good uh, voyeuristic um, shots of her. It, this is something you, you would think um, like Andrea Dworkin would have taken this this uh, footage and gone, see, they've got her, they got her naked uh, on this thing. You don't even see her face in this shot, and blah blah blah. And uh, Randy, who's, he's gonna like just kind of molest her a little bit with his face, and. It's funny, they could have easily altered the script where they kind of like end up hooking up and it could have been like totally consensual and it still could have had the same, uh, you know, shock effect that they're going to pull, but they didn't do that. I don't know. I guess it just wasn't that important. Um, But anyway, he sits her down, you can't see her face. And then when she kind of wakes up, he uh, he tries to play it off, but it doesn't really matter because uh, her face is covered in in the uh, the oil slick. It's got her, and of course she ends up getting pulled under uh, into the stuff. It's, again, it's a really cool makeup effects. It's, it's like a mixture of the the tar and like the her blood of her like you know dissolving face. It's pretty cool. And then he he goes he goes okay, I'm getting the fuck out of here, and he jumps in the water. It's just Deke's plan. This Deke should have just should just let him go. He would have gone and gotten help. And uh, he goes, so he swims for it. Now this whole time, I don't know, has it been like 14 hours at this point? But the car with the doors open, which means like the the light was on and the music's been playing. The battery is not run down, so this is a great ad for whatever battery they were using because it was still going. And he swims for it. The the trash bag you really get to see it in an overhead shot that it is just kind of a trash bag is following behind him but to me again that looks pretty cool and uh he makes it to shore he makes it to shore but then he just stops which is classic idiot move because then the blob just like shoots over him and drags him back into the water and and he in the he's it's burping him up before you know there he's even fully in the water so no more no more swimming party no more raft party for these guys and then our last shot, you see there's a, a sign, but it's all covered up with weeds. It says, no swimming. So that was the splashy little ditty. And the creep says, well, that was slick. So I really like that story, too. That's a pretty good one. And so now we got the further adventures of Billy uh, in his cartoon land, which now these th- these bullies join uh, the story. And it's basically this guy, he looks like uh, Nelson Muntz and like Jerry Only and a little bit of Glenn Danzig all wrapped into one. Maybe a little Kathy Bates, who knows. And uh, so he's got some problems. He's a very maladjusted uh, kid, you can tell. And he's got a pack of, uh, of uh, you know, betas with him. They're all gingers, which is uh, another strange choice. But they're all, they're each like an archetype of the ginger. Like one's like a white trash kid. One's a little bit preppier. One's uh, like a bully nerd I'm sure there's a better term for that. But anyway, they they all surround Billy, stop him uh, on their bikes, and they rip the package out of his hand, and they they just squash the Venus flytrap bulbs. And Billy, he's, he's he ain't no punk bitch. We'll say that for him. And he he kicks the uh, guy in the nuts. Apparently, this guy was just he was not expecting any kind of pushback from this kid. But this is the '80s. Kids still had uh, testosterone. And it was going to be on. You can't, you can't, that aggression will not stand. So he kicks him in the nuts and run and uh, bikes away and they chase him. And so and this is all just being watched by the creep who he's, he's actually becoming pretty, pretty, pretty creepy at this point. 
and he's got one more story for us, and it's the hitcher, the hitchhiker, which uh, starts off with Mrs. Lansing, and she's basically a she's a bad woman. She's married to a lawyer, but she and she's a total yuppie. They're all yuppies, and uh, but she's seeing this gigolo, this this um, this guy here, and he's not even that that great of a gigolo because uh, he's poor. He's always asking for more money, and also he lives in a place where the electricity just goes out which that's that's like every place i've ever lived uh and so the alarm clock uh resets itself and there's no alarm to wake him wake her up at like i guess she had to wake up like uh at 11 or whatever she's got to be there she's got to be home at like 11 30 or something and it's it's really late she's got to get out of there and they have a little friendly banter uh, stephen king's it is on the on the bed stand by the way, this Miss Lansing, this is Lois Childs from uh, Moonraker. I think she, that was a she's a Bond girl. I think I think it was from Moonraker. I think she's like a scientist or something. Uh, she's pretty hot, uh, especially especially in the 70s. But she's got to get on the road. She drives this Mercedes, and she's driving in. This is Maine. It's it looks like it's might even be that same town from the from the cold open. Uh, she's driving around. She's talk. She, this is another thing. She just won't stop talking to herself. And everyone says this is the great, greatest story. It's good. I'm not going to shit on it, but I just like uh, they they re, they just keep the character going by just having her talk to herself this whole time, which is a little hit or miss for me. It just goes on a bit a bit much. But I, I guess what else are you going to have her do? She's alone in a car. So her two vices come to fuck her over in the end when she's talking to herself. She won't shut up, and she's smoking cigarettes. And she drops her cigarette. She she swerves her car, which is it's it's nighttime. The roads are are wet with like snow. This is very irresponsible behavior. She's just a very irresponsible woman. But uh, she ends up wiping out. She ends up like taking out some uh, little uh, you know reflectors on the road and ends up. Of course, this is the worst time, worst time and worst place for a guy just to be hitchhiking because he gets totally flattened by this uh, broad in her Mercedes. And uh, she swerves around. There's like a crumpled up body in a yellow uh, rain jacket that's uh, uh, the hitchhiker. And it's like, wow, this is very, I know what you did last summer. Uh, it's like the fisherman, uh, kind of like this guy uh, with the slicker. But she's, she's like, uh, you know what? I'm out of here. And she, her, her survival instincts kick in. And once they do, she is back on the road. She Hit, switches off her her, her headlights, uh, swerves, just drives the shit out of her car back on the road, and we get a really amazing uh, cameo from Stephen King because motorists start uh, coming by and they they instantly notice this body, which is uh, pretty interesting. But uh, the the one trucker he stops uh, he stops his rig and gets out and he's the mortal line. Hey, buddy, what the fuck happened here? And, of course, it's our, our man Stephen King, who have very mixed emotions about Stephen King, but at this point in time, he could do no wrong, as far as we know. And uh, this is just another amazing cameo from him. Everybody else on this road is like another yuppie. This is like Yuppie Town, USA or something. Uh, so there's a guy uh, in a BMW, which this will come into play later on, too, and he's, of course, bad luck for Miss Lansing. He's got a car phone. He's got, like, the first car phone in America in 1987 because he's going to report this uh, body on the road. 
But it doesn't matter because she's getting away. She's hauling ass, and she would have got away with it too if this just was not a supernatural world that she lived in. Because at one point she's stopped it on the road, and there's this very effective, creepy shot of uh, the the hitchhiker in his bloody yellow rain jacket um, walking towards the car, and you just kind of notice it. It's like a it follows kind of moment, and uh, he's got a sign that says Dover. I guess he's trying to get to Dover. Instead, he was run Dover. But uh, he, he's like, he keeps saying, uh, thanks for the ride, lady. He keeps appearing in, um, that's his uh, catchphrase. And he keeps appearing and disappearing. She keeps saying, oh, I guess it was just my imagination. She's being physically attacked like every five minutes. But, oh, you know what? I can rationalize this away. And it's just, it's too, it's too true of the human condition, isn't it? Uh, but. Uh, it gets really out of control. Like at one point, she's like driving in the forest, and she's like running this guy over, uh, ramming him into trees, and he just keeps coming back a little, just a little bit more banged up, and a little more bloody, and it's just a real, uh, you know, endurance contest. But I mean, this, this car is totaled, and you're like, what is she ever going to be able to say about this? Uh, you know, it doesn't even matter. She's, she's just an existential crisis of uh, terror and survival. But it goes on for like many, many minutes, and but eventually, she does end up getting back on the highway and getting to her house, which she slowly, slowly gets into. The car is all fucked up, and she pulls into the driveway. She's home. She's made it. Whatever else happens, she's home. Except, opens the door immediately. The hitchhiker comes out and is like, "Thanks for the ride," in his very garbled, uh, mechanically altered voice. And so she's fucked. And then, and I, I must have watched this movie 50 times, but I eventually realized that the guy who had stopped with a car phone in the, and to report the accident is the husband. That's why he wasn't home. Like the whole, whole time she was like, I got to get home because he's going to be on time and I'm going to be late. But it turns out he was late for the first time ever because he had been reporting that accident. And of course, well, he was already behind her in the first place. So even if... Uh, he even if he hadn't stopped, there had been no hitchhiker to report. She would have gotten home first anyway. So this is just major bad luck on her part. But again, she talked to herself too much, so who cares? And uh, but anyway, I just finally noticed that he was the one there. It's the same car, it's the same guy in a three-piece suit, and he spots her, and there she is with the the Dover sign around her neck. She's dead in her car, and that's the end of that story. And anyway, that's the the last story for this creep show edition, which the first one had uh, five stories. This one had three. What are you going to do? But there is one more thing because Billy's story isn't over. And uh, so he ends up going to this, like, I don't know, this quarry or whatever it is. It's a construction site, uh, something for a new uh, new suburban hell or something that's going to take over this uh, nice small town. And anyway, uh, he knows to go to this spot because... The bullies show up, and of course, right behind them rises these giant uh, venge- vengeance-filled uh, Venus flytraps, and they eat all the bullies. They don't show the uh, the nerd bully getting eaten, so I don't know is there a, if that was just lost in, in in the cut, or is is that footage exist anywhere? I don't know, but uh, Billy gets his revenge. He gets his justice. He his his enemies are devoured before him. It has to be the best feeling in the world, and in the world of creep show, that can happen. 
because all injustices are uh, always met with overwhelming uh, bloody vengeance. And that's that's the great thing about Creepshow. It's the thing I really like about it. It's the thing I liked about, you know, the EC Tales from the Crypt series. And for the end credits, we get a sequence where, again, we're back to the real world. It's Tom Savini in the back of the truck, the Creepmobile. And he's just throwing out the issues out onto the street at this point. So, again, this is, again, just a terrible business model. Just throw throw your product out there. But then again, actually, if you want if you want to know the real uh, red pill about this is that magazines and newspapers, they make a, a little bit of money from, like, sales and subscriptions. But really, they make most of their money from advertising for the most part. That's the business model of most magazines. Uh, maybe not so much comic books, but, I mean, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But basically, they make their money from uh, advertising. So basically, the more circulation you have, the more you can charge uh, companies for advertising. So basically, they'll they'll distribute tons of magazines. They know they'll never sell, and they'll just end up in the recycling bin. But they do it just to uh, inflate their circulation sales. So just a little tip for uh, everybody there about that wants to know about the uh, corruption endemic to uh, all of modern society. That's a little that's a little segment of it. But we get this really cool uh, parting shot of the creep uh, driving down the road, throwing out his wares, and you get all the credits. Uh, Laverne was played by a woman named Jeremy Green. Very interesting touch there. Did not expect that. And the very last thing, like after the, all the credits have rolled, there's a quote from Collier's Magazines in the late 40s that uh, basically is defending comic books, even these violent uh, comic books, um, saying we should be worried about juvenile uh, delinquency and, um, you know, broken homes and, and neglect and child abuse and not worry about what they're reading, which is a very big, I gotta say, a total oversimplification of the whole issue and that one psychologist that everybody shits on because he complained about these uh, comic books. I mean, I love those comic books and I read them when I was a kid, but, I mean, that's not evidence that they were harmless, okay? Uh, that's all I'm gonna say about that. But that was Creep Show 2. Again, classic beautiful movie it's finally you know finally getting its due um and i love it so i hope i hope you did too i hope you did uh, apparently just to sit through this whole talk through i enjoyed riffing on this movie with you uh, i'm gonna do it again and we'll be doing it I'll, i'm the crimson stain perhaps i'll be your monthly visitor uh talking about these movies we'll do it again real soon and thanks for listening uh uh, and we can only get better, right? So have a have a great one. See you next time.